This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, uh, I know we're focused on the border security issue and the partial government shutdown, but uh, thinking globally for a minute, we still have uh, chaos in Britain after uh, Theresa May narrowly won a no-confidence vote after her Brexit plan was scuttled by the House of Commons. And so where does Britain go next? There's uh, stories out last week we discussed with Steve Moore and others uh, about uh, China's faltering economy, about factory orders being down in the Eurozone, the R-word, the specter of the R-word, yeah. And, uh, if, and if the, you know, the other uh, key uh, trading partners around the world succumb to slow growth or negative growth, uh, how does that not impact America? Of course it does to some extent. Now, again, you've got varying opinions on what to do now. Uh, Steve Hilton, writing over at Fox last week, uh, described the rejection of May's Brexit agreement as, quote, the worst parliamentary defeat for a U.K. government in a century and the latest humiliation for a feckless British ruling class that appears to have suffered some kind of collective nervous breakdown since the country voted to leave the EU in June of 2016. Uh, Hilton makes the point, as many Brexit voters did, that however officious the local government is, uh, bureaucrats in faraway Brussels are far worse. Then there's uh, this observation in The Independent in terms of how, in terms of where, where this could go. It's sort of interesting. Uh, there is um, a labor MP who has uh, introduced a bill that could be decisive in breaking this deadlock. And, so, and you know, the Brexit deadlock it's, it sort of mirrors our, our deadlock at present in, in some respects. Uh, the interesting thing is it, pre- it could present a strange choice between Theresa May's Brexit deal and postponing Brexit in order, in order to hold a new referendum. And the, this handicapper suggests if that's the choice, there could be a small majority for the prime minister's deal rather than going through the ordeal of revoting Brexit. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Stephen Booth. He's the director of policy and research at Open Europe. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. No problem. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, just in terms of uh, that uh, review of one op-ed writer's uh, handle on where the situation stands, is that your sense of it as well? That could be the choice before the British government, or are there other dynamics that uh, are at play that need to be contemplated? Well, at the moment, there are broadly three options. One is that the UK leaves the EU without any deal whatsoever. Um, Now, as you say, there's, there's a growing concern about that prospect uh, in Parliament, and, it, and, and it's widely thought that MPs won't let that happen. Um, the second option is we leave with some form of deal. Now, people disagree with the current deal on the table, but it's not obvious how any other deal w- would look substantially different. Or, as you say, the last option is that, 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 that Brexit is either delayed um, or stopped um, by a, a, a second vote on this issue uh, amongst the public, a referendum. Um, now, my personal view is that, um, that that sort of a deal is everyone's kind of second favourite option, um, <laughs> and if the sort of the no deal option or the second referendum option um, are to become ruled out, then 
I do think there is a chance that the majority can be found um, for, for a negotiated exit, i.e. something very close to the deal that we currently have on the table. Yeah, yeah right. Isn't that, I mean, her plan B for Brexit looks a lot like defeated plan A, correct? Yes, I think that's true. I think there is some there are some caveats to that. Um, I think MPs will want to seek further assurances on um, certain aspects of the deal. Um, also, they want greater control of the process because at the moment we're, we're only discussing um, our exit from the EU. There's still a lot to discuss about what the future arrangements between the UK and the EU will look like, and Parliament wants much greater control over that process. So I think there are steps that, that can be taken that will allow MPs to say that the deal has changed sufficiently um, to, to warrant their support in, in a second vote. Um, and I think it's worth remembering that the vote last week, everyone expected the government to lose. So for many MPs, it was a, it was a free hit of the government. Is there any um, appetite or suggestion that Theresa May uh, could act asymmetrically and one potential tactic being to sort of reach out and try to start some uh, bilateral trade agreement with the United States to give confidence to the populace that, look, uh, even if we're not in the EU, we can negotiate trade deals and keep uh, uh, countries open to our products and uh, exports that we take in at low prices by making these bilateral deals like I'm attempting to make with America. I think in the long term, that's certainly um, the case. I think the the, the fact is here in the short term and and being here in London, that everyone is all consumed about this this question in the next two weeks about what what happens. Uh, And we we do truly have um, sort of paralysis in terms of government. There is nothing else really on the agenda, including um, kind of what a future trade policy will look like. And I think um, that it's everyone's priority here to get this issue um, settled. Um, But clearly... What this means for future trade policy and the UK's ability to do a deal with with a country like uh, the States um, is obviously um, a very politically contentious issue. And something that I think people who are in favour of Brexit certainly see as one of the opportunities of of Brexit over the medium to long term. It's always hard to sort of um, get a handle on which side is suffering more from fatigue when it comes to these impasses. Certainly that's the case here at present. But I, I wonder if you have any sense of if there was a move to re-vote Brexit, you know, where the energy is, uh, who is most fatigued by what's happened over the last nearly two years? Well, two and a half the, years, the, I the big challenge, The big challenge at the moment is, is, um, is, is trying to find a way through. And I think that the, the question would be, if, if we were heading down the second referendum route, it's not clear what question the public would be asked to answer, because they were already asked to answer leave versus... Um, remaining in the European Union. And I think everyone recognises it's not fair to have a second referendum in which there isn't an option to leave the EU that is deliverable. Um, So presumably Parliament needs to have an option for people to vote for um, when we leave, if we we were to leave. Um, And I think think the the public would rightly ask the question, well, if, if, if there is a credible way of leaving and we've already told you to leave, why are we being asked to vote again? So I think that um, it's, it's clearly um, problematic to go down the road of a second referendum. And I think it's very difficult to say exactly how that would turn out. Um, and I think it's certainly, um, I think many, many people on the Remain side of the argument underestimate uh, the challenge of A, getting a re- second referendum to happen, uh, and B, if it were to happen, to actually win that. Can you refresh our memories as to why Theresa May wants to leave the European Union? 
Like what's the... Well, we had a referendum uh, in June 2016 in which um, the public voted to do so, um, and MPs voted to trigger um, the exit process. And subsequently, we also had a general election in, both, in which both the Conservative Party and the main opposition Labour Party all campaigned to respect the referendum. Um, now, that's why I think it will be hugely challenging to go back to the public and say, actually, we're not sure about this anymore. Can you please bail us out? Um, and I think that's why I think people underestimate the challenge of, of having a second referendum and why I think public um, frustration on this could, could, could boil over and say, well, look, um, Parliament has been instructed to do something. Um, what this looks like from the outside of Parliament is um, an inability for politicians to, to, to come up with something sensible, which really shouldn't be as complicated as it seems to be looking. Uh, much was made before uh, May's deal went down of the Irish backstop. Uh, this yes. and and th- so this was a sticking point between the two sides. And I, I wonder, just one, explain that to our listeners. And two, was that a real impasse, or was that something that was just convenient for opposing sides to use to kill the deal? Because uh, it would seem to me, from my understanding of it, that it it shouldn't be that difficult to resolve. But but your perspective. Well, I mean, the backstop has been the most contentious element of of both the negotiations between the British government and the rest of um, Europe, but also in Parliament and um, uh, uh, between the Conservative um, Party, which is is in government, and um, a party from Northern Ireland, which allows it to be in government by providing uh, 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 the votes for, 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 for government majorities. And now there are specific problems with the backstop. Um, there are two, really, one of which is it, it, it creates um, a different different um, rules but, um, for one part of the United Kingdom. So Northern Ireland will be closer to the rest of the EU than the rest of the United Kingdom. Um, the second big problem from, from the Brexiteer point of view is that um, it provides for a, um, a customs union between the UK and the EU, which would prevent the UK from, for example, signing a comprehensive trade agreement with the US. Um, and while the backstop is meant to be temporary, there is no specific provision that would allow the UK to unilaterally exit the backstop um, whenever it liked. And the backstop would have to be superseded by a new UK-EU trade agreement. So there are two major problems with it. Um, but I think there are also advantages to the UK um, from the backstop. Um, and I think it's quite difficult to see how the EU um, will now agree to a backstop with a specific time limit. So I, I think that, that we are stuck with some form of backstop um, as it looks. Uh, and I think the question remains whether um, MPs who, who, who reject this deal for different reasons, either because it's not, um, not, not, not a pure enough Brexit or because it's not close enough to the, to the EU, um, whether if, if they can't have what they would like, um, would they perhaps reconsider and say, actually, this, this deal is far from perfect, um, but it's better than the alternatives. How much uh, does uh, the concern about what uh, European leadership looks like in a post-Merkel era factor into this discussion as well? Well, actually, I, I think um, in many ways, um, sadly, the UK has become very introspective in the last uh, few months and, and arguably a couple of years since the referendum. And no one is really thinking about what does the rest of Europe look like, um, either after we've left or, or if we were to stay in. And I think the point you raise, as in what does the future of the EU look like, is, is, is actually a very important one. It's not clear that there is any 
um, consensus in the rest of the European Union, particularly between um, any future German leader uh, and, and, uh, and a French president, on what um, progress and what future um, that, that holds for, for the rest of the EU. Um, and I think it's important to recognise that the UK has long been a sort of um, both a hesitant member, but also one who, a member which has not been involved in the key discussions on some of the key issues in, in Europe. Namely, I think you mentioned it at the start of the programme about uh, the future of the Eurozone. The UK was never a member of the Eurozone. We've had our own currency. Uh, and secondly, um, the migration crisis that has affected mm -hmm. the rest of the EU much more than, than the UK, because the UK obviously has no land border with, with, with continental um, Europe. So we've been actually absent from some of the biggest challenges and bigger discussions that's going on in, in Europe. And I, and I think people um, sort of are too quick to, to, to forget about the challenges that, that, that the UK did face um, whilst being a member of the EU. He is Stephen Booth. He's the Director of Policy and Research at Open Europe. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your insights. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.